to Shorewords, the ASPM podcast of coastal literature, factual and fictional accounts that transport us toward the coast. Today I'm doing something a little different than what we've done on Shorewords. We're talking about the most recent issue of Shore and Beach that just should have reached your homes recently if you're a subscriber or that you could find online if you're not a subscriber. I'm talking today with the two guest editors of this issue. Before we start talking with them, though, I want to leave a little bit of time for a word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering with 28 offices along the Gulf Coast. The folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numeric modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. And now they have a brand new coastal resiliency department headed up by our very own Peter Ravella. Check them out at lja.com. We are also brought to you by Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants prides itself on offering specific environmental and horticultural expertise with practical first-hand knowledge of all aspects of coastal revegetation projects. Their high-quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, along with their skilled and respectful crews, make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring coastal ecology of your barrier island community. Learn more at CoastalTransplants.com. And we are brought to you by the Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They can handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at the thedunesciencegroup.com. So, Tiffany and Lindino, it's wonderful that you've been guest editors for Shore and Beach for this issue. And to my accounting, um, this is the second issue that you've both guest edited together. It, it suggests that you work well together and you probably know each other fairly well. So, Tiffany, why don't you introduce Lindino? Sure. Uh, Dr. Lindino Benedict um, is a principal at Coastal Protection Engineering in Boca Raton, Florida. And Lindino, do you want to introduce Tiffany? Sure. Uh, uh, Tiffany, uh, Dr. Briggs, she's a... Uh, professor at uh, Florida Atlantic University. And uh, curiously enough, she actually took the chair of uh, my master uh, supervisor, which was uh, Dr. Charlie Finkel, um, one of the editors of another coastal journal, uh, the JCR. And uh, we work about a few miles from each other. And uh, it's been a pleasure to co-edit a few issues with Tiffany. We work well together. We spread the workload. And um, there's really... Not a lot of, um, uh, let me say, uh, disruption in our workflow. Uh, it's been very, she's very easy going and easy to work with, and it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Same of Lindino. Perfect. So how do you divide up your workload? Tiffany? Uh, Lindino and I usually uh, have a short discussion about how we're going to go about uh, soliciting papers for the special issue. Um, and we both target uh, colleagues or listservs, um, other uh, people we might know to be interested in publishing their research on a particular topic for that special issue. 
Uh, and then we uh, send out invites um, and receive the papers. Of course, we divvy up the uh, part of the reviewing responsibilities. And then together, we author a guest editorial. Perfect. Lindina, what would you say are some of the common themes for this issue? I mean, the issue is on the 2017-2018 hurricane season, so certainly hurricanes are a unifying part of it. But beyond that, what would you say are some of the themes that run throughout each of the papers? I mean, um, there's there's a few themes. There are quite the diverse um Approaches to, to to the storm impacts on our coast. There are different papers. Uh, there's impressive data. There's good data sets. I, I was happy to see that people were able to actually deploy instruments and, and have good time series of, 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 of the tropical storms and even extra tropical storms as well. So that has been uh, very gratifying to see that data published in Shore and Beach and that data is now out there and available for other pe- researchers and graduate students to explore further. Um, I was very impressed by a few of the findings of the papers. I mean, Davis et al. on Mexico Beach, we all know Mexico Beach was devastated by Michael. And I mean, he was able to map like 700 buildings that were completely condemned by the storm and peak surges of 14 feet. That's incredible. Um, the one from uh, Cogen uh, from Brett Webb's group there in Alabama. I mean, a hurricane that uh, Nate, that we don't even remember or talk much about it, uh, they measure five meter high waves on it. And there was a lot of widespread overwash in a hurricane that most people don't even know it happened in 2017. And also he found that the feedbacks during the storm between the interaction of incoming waves, run up and dunes, uh, was very important for the amount of overwash, uh, pointing out that uh, really points out the importance of having dynamic models where the morphology is changing during the storm rather than a fixed model with an elevation and, and, and an energy because the feedback during the storm is incredibly important to how the beach responds. Um, uh, the Borel and Puleo showed very good data sets and uh, I thought it was very interesting. They compared uh, accumulated wave energy from a nor'easter with Hurricane Dorian uh, on the mid-Atlantic uh, coast. And although the peak energy of Dorian was way higher than the nor'easter, um, the nor'easter has a much longer duration and a much uh, larger wave period. So the total accumulated wave energy from the nor'easter they evaluated, which was uh, Riley, uh, was actually higher than Dorian because Dorian has, of course, it's a it's a it's a it's an event of short duration and short period, but uh, although it has a higher peak. So the nor'easters are very important in terms of inducing beach morphology change because of, uh, of, of these characteristics. I mean, the Army Corps folks with the, with the Joint Airborne LIDAR uh, Technical Center of Excellence are doing a wonderful job. They collected I a mean, great amount of data, documented their efforts during the storms and the incredible morphology changes that were able to be captured by that data. That data is very valuable to the community. Everyone uses that data set in their designs, in their model calibrations, in their sediment budget development. We're really thankful for the efforts of the Army Corps and the and the Joint Airborne LIDAR Group. And um, we're happy they were able to, to show their efforts in this, in this special issue. Then uh, we had uh, another interesting um, 
data sets from uh, Jensen that apply the storm erosion index. So I was very happy to see that their index applied to Hurricane Michael was really able to capture the spatial variability of, uh, of the impacts of the hurricane. So it proved to be a very, very uh, helpful index for quick assessment of impacts. And um, also, um, Shannon kind of provided a very good opinion piece uh, and, and uh, also provided a lot of awareness and guidance for, for, for coastal managers. I really like some of her figures too that, um, that are really uh, educational and can be used by many uh, to educate the public and stakeholders about the importance of nature infrastructure to protect coastal communities from flooding. So it's also a good contribution to the field. Overall, there's a lot of interesting stuff in this issue um, and I advise everybody to take a, a deeper dive. Uh, there's a lot of interesting data and a lot of interesting findings. Great, thank you. So Tiffany, as a professor, how will your students try to use this, this work or how will you help your students use this data and these um, recent findings? Yeah, it's, it's wonderful that we were able to um, publish such a timely issue on multiple hurricane uh, that impacted the Gulf and Atlantic coasts. Uh, my students are able to look to just this one issue with multiple articles um, on different storms and their impacts across different regions. And we'll be able to synthesize some of this data and compare to storms that they're studying or perhaps even uh, future storm impacts. Uh, I think it's also important that the students recognize there are multiple approaches to evaluating uh, how storms can impact uh, not only in the environment, but the community. And I think that this issue highlights that uh, nicely. As Lindino mentioned, uh, we have uh, data sets that were um, obtained from in-situ measurements, uh, as well as data sets that used uh, remote sensing methods, um, which I think complement each other nicely and hopefully will uh, help guide students to see uh, the different uh, ways to collect data, different methods, and what and how they can be used to better understand storm impacts. And uh, Tiffany, uh, I really like the picture you provided to us for the cover uh, because I was actually um, out walking on the beach that day, and I surfed this exact spot this day. It was the surf was really good? It was uh, after the storm. And as I was walking up the beach and it was drifty because of the angle of the incoming waves, I was seeing this flattened berm and this uh, washed out turtle nest. And I was like, wow, this is a real, real um, strong morphological adjustment of this beach because I, I walk this beach all the time. And uh, I'm, I was happy to when we were talking about the cover that you were able to capture that moment. So it really illustrates. And also, this is a really nice shot of how having a white beach to absorb the storm impacts also uh, can be helpful. There's major morphological adjustments here, but it's of the sand berm. If there was no berm, these adjustments would be taken up on upland infrastructure and there'll be a lot of damage. Absolutely. I do want to credit uh, David Anderson at the Gumbo Limbo Nature Center for capturing this photo. Uh, although, of course, we try to capture photos when we're in the field as well. But this one in particular, I thought, as you mentioned, was quite striking just to see the nice wide beach and the upper limit of run up that's denoted by those 
little rack lines with the swash lenses that uh, are impacting these particular sea turtle nests, but certainly those further back on the wide beach uh, would not have seen the same type of inundation and, and beach change. We didn't have any articles on sea turtles. How does, uh, when there's a washover, do you know what happens with the nest when there's a washover like this? Uh, so that's actually some of the ongoing work uh, that we're doing at, at FAU in collaboration with some of the sea turtle biologists here at FAU, as well as the Gumbo Limbo, Gumbo Limbo Nature Center. Uh, and it it's not an easy answer. It really depends on... Um, how far along the nest is in terms of incubation, how much uh, sand is deposited on top of the nest and how close uh, the nest is to hatching. And of course, if there's erosion or the nest is washed out, then that's uh, not a good thing. (laughs) Got it. And so Tiffany, not only being a guest editor, you also have an article on this issue. Want to give us a deep dive into that article? Sure. Uh, So this article um, is led by Josh Davis. uh, And and a lot of this uh, research was actually done while he uh, was a graduate student here at FAU uh, under the direction of Dr. Diana Mitsova. Uh, And they partnered with one of my students, uh, Ty Briggs, and myself uh, to look at some of the data that was collected due to Hurricane Michael's impact uh, in Mexico Beach. And so what we did was we took a look at some of the remote sensing data, uh, imagery databases, LIDAR, um, as well as some uh, economic information from the tax appraiser's office to assess the storm damages in this particular area. Uh, and so the data was then uh, evaluated in GIS to help identify those damaged buildings, um, which again, Lindino had mentioned, we found 700 buildings were classified as either damaged or completely damaged, a lot of which were actually single family homes. Uh, We also took a look at some of the surge uh, that impacted the area and compared that with the elevation um, within the Mexico Beach area and found that um, a lot of the extensive damage was within the lower lying areas, uh, which may not be surprising. We know there's a relationship with surge inundation and lower lying areas, um, but I think that this helps illustrate how that really can severely damage the structures. Uh, we found nearly 80% to be severely damaged in those lower lying areas. It's also uh, interesting that you quantify the damage using that tax appraised value uh, and uh, quantified up to be just for those buildings, about 120 million, just that area and just uh, for appraised values, not in, and, I, and I'm guessing that those appraised values did not consider uh, public infrastructure, is that correct? That's right, yeah, just looking at the structures themselves. So certainly there is uh, much higher damages when you consider other factors. And uh, one thing that is interesting of, of that particular beach is that uh, Mexico Beach did not have a nourishment program. And because of this storm, uh, the Bay County uh, TDC, the Tourism Development Council, uh, led the charge to to do a, a restoration and enrichment and build a, a wide beach and a protective dune to avoid uh, or minimize future impacts if similar storms hit the area. And um, the most of the design work has been completed. The the project is under permitting, and, and Mexico Beach is going to have a, a enrichment program, and, and hopefully in the future they'll not be as severely impacted. And the 
tourist dollars are being used to fund this program, which is a, a good return to the community. Are there plans to rebuild differently based on what we learned from the past storms of Hurricane Michael? Uh, I'm not sure, uh, uh, Leslie. I'm, I'm, they, we were really, I've been particularly working on the beach program. Uh, and um, it's similar to what happened in Panama City Beach uh, after Opal, which was an incredibly strong storm in the 90s. And they built the beach nourishment program at Panama City Beach. And, and since then, uh, Panama City Beach absorbed impacts of uh, Ivan, uh, Michael, and several other storms with minimal damage. However, of course, if you have a Cat 5 heading straight on and, and it overwhelms everything in terms of uh, not only storm surge, but wind damage, but but at least uh, a wide beach with a healthy dune system can protect for most of the storms that, that will hit in a given area. Thank you. Is there anything else about this issue you would like to mention, Tiffany? Uh, I just want to sort of point out that, again, this is a really great issue that covers multiple storms over the the hurricane seasons. I think it's also fantastic to see um, that a, a number of these papers are actually primarily authored by students and co-authored by their advisors, which I think is, um, you know, illustrating how uh, well uh, our Shore and Beach readers and contributors are working to help train the next generation of coastal scientists and engineers. Perfect. And for both of you, what is your favorite beach in this area? Good point. Ooh. <laughs> I was waiting for you to go first, Lindino. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a loaded question, right, Tiffany? I particularly really like Delray Beach because um, I did my PhD on it, <laughs> so I studied deeply, and uh, it was uh, one of our firm's founder it was his first project, and because of the project, uh, I- I'm a surfer, and the Ray Beach, because of the nourishment project, and because of uh, uh, some of the dredging that occurred in the 70s that did not have the controls that it have today, it caused strong gradients in wave height um, uh, along the beach that creates a very, very unique uh, surf break in this region. And it's only five minutes from my home. So I really, really enjoy it. Well, then I have to jump in sort of similarly. About five minutes from FAU are the Boca Raton beaches. And uh, I spend a lot of time on those beaches, although we do research elsewhere. Uh, We have multiple projects that have occurred on Boca beaches. And so uh, although some people uh, might think that the Boca beaches are all the same. If you walk up and down them, you can actually see there's quite a bit of difference. And so uh, I think spending a lot of time there, uh, I've become quite familiar uh, and fond of the Boca beaches here in South Florida. Thank you. So I hope this discussion of the most recent issue of Shore and Beach by our guest editors, Tiffany Briggs and Lindina Bennett, have inspired you to um, look into some of these articles more, read the issue, Uh, Get a copy of the issue if you aren't a subscriber and learn more about the East Coast beaches and their response to hurricanes. It's a fascinating discussion. We certainly don't want to see more hurricanes, but they're a fact of nature and they are a force to be reckoned with. We will need to be dealing with them in the future. So I encourage you to learn more about them. Thank you so much, Tiffany and Lindino.